Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, thank you for taking my email in question. My girlfriend and I listen to you on the radio and she respects your opinion as I do. So here's the question. I've been separated for nine months. I'm working on a divorce. Is it okay to date? I believe it is. But she's not comfortable with being around people who know my divorce is not final. Can you help? He kind of answered it when he said, if she's not comfortable, it's not a good gig. And Pat, you have some questions about... About your sexuality? Well, you are on and at the right place. Because tonight, we are going to be talking about the different types of sexuality. Sexual orientation. We're going to be talking about sexual terminology. I mean, I'm going to ask you, do you know what sexual anorexia is? Do you know what vaginismus is? Do you know what pansexual means? These are all terminologies that are very common in today's age, but not everybody knows what they truly mean. I mean, do you know the difference between polyamory and polygamous? Maybe, maybe you don't. How about asexual and bisexual? Felt like we needed a show with an expert who could help us with terminology, with concepts, and just keep us in line. And that is so important that we know what we're seeing, what's going on in our lives, what's going on in the community, what's going on in the culture. I mean, I'm sure each and every one of you knows somebody who is either gender fluid or transgender. 30 years ago, that would not necessarily have been true. But it is a different ballgame now. So let's keep you up on the newest. What do you say? 
Yeah, that's right. Tonight we're going to be interviewing Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck, and she is a certified sexual addiction therapist and a certified sex uh, therapist. And there is a difference. It is really important for you to be able to go to people that have a niche in this field because they're going to be trained um, by the experts who can absolutely know the difference between just giving a standard answer like, oh, your husband's a sex addict? Well, just have more sex. Or, oh, you're experiencing vaginismus? Well, use more lubrication. So tonight we're going to be talking about what that means. If you've listened to the show for the last six years, you know that I have made it my mission to educate people about sexual addiction and partner betrayal. But I also told a story of how at age five and six, my mother really shared with me the birds and the beasts. She talked to me about sexuality. She gave me the proper terms. She talked about, uh, you know, what happens when you fall in love. And we may not have talked about recreational sex, but we talked about what was sex, how were babies conceived. And as a result, I would take it to the playground and I would teach the other kids the proper terminology and the acts of sex. I didn't show them, but I spoke about it. And I didn't know that this was something that was taboo. So now fast forward 50-some years later, and here I am doing the same kind of work, only different. And I'm not embarrassed to do it. I want to be able to talk about the tough, tough topics and help you to get the help that you need. So that's what this show's all about. After all, it's called Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And, you know, I don't know if you caught my latest um, YouTube. I actually have three that I just put out. One is on tightening up your inner circles. If you're a sex addict, you more than likely follow the three circles. And the three circles are the inner circle. Those are your deal-breaking behaviors. Those are those sexually addictive behaviors that you say, I will not participate in. And this is what I'm working on. Then the middle circle behaviors are those slippery slope behaviors. Those are the behaviors that can light up the brain and create dopamine and open the gateways for sexual addiction. And then the outer circle Well, that's the healthy circle behaviors. You know, that would look like dating your wife or your girlfriend or if you're single, dating in general. It may mean different hobbies, woodworking, jewelry making, uh, reading, sewing. It may mean different types of exercise whether that's cross-country skiing, basketball, CrossFit, 
you know, what do you do to better your mind, body, and soul and your relationships? Those are healthy circle behaviors. Now, I'm not popular as a therapist. Well, actually, I am. (laughs) But what I mean is I'm a hard-nosed therapist. I don't believe in allowing you to look at porn. Porn is going to objectify women or men, depending on what kind of porn you're looking at, which is going to keep those gateways open to your sexually addictive behavior. I mean, I like the concepts in SA and SAA. But in SAA, I think they're too lax. I know I'm not supposed to criticize support groups, but I got to do it. I got to do it because I'm standing up for you. I got to say that there are things in support groups that need to change. And one of them is that when somebody has got prostitution or escorts or voyeurism or exhibitionism in their inner circle, right? Porn in your middle circle, or you have, um, well, masturbation in your inner circle. I don't know anybody who can masturbate and not fantasize about sexually addictive behavior if they're a sex addict. I'm sorry, I've not met a person that could do that. I was trained to believe that it was up to the sex addict to make that decision. I'm telling you from my experience, and I've trained with the greatest, I have worked with the best clients in the world, and I don't know one of them can masturbate and not have you fork recall. So therefore, you can't masturbate. I know you think you can't live if you can't masturbate, but I'm here to tell you that's a bunch of hogwash. You can learn to to pleasure yourself in other ways that are not sexual, but they're equally as satisfying. You know, have you ever had somebody rub the inside of your arm back and forth? I bet you did when you were little. I bet your grandmother did it. Maybe your mother or father did it. Hopefully you had somebody who was nurturing that rubbed the back of your neck, brushed your hair, rubbed your feet. All those um, kinesthetic pleasures are not necessarily sensual, and they don't trigger the same places in the brain that dopamine hits when they're sexual. So, okay, that's my bias. And as a CSAT, I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to be porn neutral. I'm supposed to say it's okay for people to look at porn. And you know what? What I do believe is there are some people that can look at porn, and it does not become compulsive. Therefore, it is not really an issue. And yet I'm here to tell you that looking at porn at any level is unacceptable for a sex addict. I feel the same way about if you're an alcoholic or a marijuana user or you do cocaine, 
You can't use those other drugs. You've got to learn how to live life without being in an altered state. It's not that I'm against marijuana per se. It's not that I'm against cocaine per se. But I believe that each one of those are gateways to open up neurocircuitry that sets you up for addiction. Not everybody, but I'm talking to you, addicts. I'm not just talking to everybody. And as a result, I say protect your precious brains, which leads me to my other YouTube. And that happens to be for partners. And I'm telling partners, they do not need to know every single thing that has occurred in their husband or wife's um, sexual acting out. I actually, in the video I just released on YouTube, I said, preserve your precious brains. Don't put images in there that are going to contaminate it forever. You've got an idea of what's going on. You think that if you know positions, names, colors, scents, that that's going to make you feel like you have more control. And I'm saying, and I'm pleading with you, you know I've been with you for six years. I love my listening audience. I care about sex addicts and partners. I really, really do. And you got to trust me here. I am advocating for you. I know you want to know every single detail. And I'm asking you, how is that working for you? How is that serving you? Well, then I know everything. No, I don't believe we're knowing the truth, but I don't think you need to know every detail and fact to know the truth. So I'm going to ask you to really ask yourself, partners, is it absolutely necessary that I know where he went, when he went, what they did, how long it lasted? You get the picture. Basically, if you know there was a rendezvous and you know when, where, and how, that's good enough. You don't have to know every single detail. Please protect yourself. And lastly, my last video was on pro-dependence. And pro-dependence is a brand new concept that says we have got to stop pathologizing. People who love addicts. And we have to stop calling them co-addicts or codependent. If you're a partner and you fell in love with a spouse and then you found out he or she was an addict, you are not as sick as they are. You didn't attract him or her into your life. And you don't necessarily have to do your own work. Well, you have to do your own recovery work because now you're traumatized. But you don't have to do your own work as if there was something wrong with you to begin with. That just isn't true. And I don't want you to walk around with that bag of shame on your back just because it fit the AA model and the NA model. Wow, can you tell I'm worked up tonight? I really, really am. That's why it may be good that we're going to be talking about some neutral information, some psychosocial education. We're going to be talking about sexual identity in today's world. We know it can be so confusing. And we want to talk with Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck, who is a certified sex therapist 
and a certified sexual addiction therapist like me. I am not a certified sex therapist, but I am a certified sexual addiction therapist. So my niche is sexual addiction, and her niche is both sex therapy in general and psychosexual education and sex addiction. So, again, when we can get an expert on who can give us the information we need, if you're like me, I believe that information is empowering. So, Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck, how are you doing this evening? Happy New Year. I'm doing really well, Carol. How are you? Well, I am well, and I've just been on a little bit of a a, a rant about wanting the partners and sex addicts to protect themselves by tightening up um, their inner circle behavior. And for partners, I want them to protect their precious energy and their brain and, and maybe not go for all the details. You know, it's important for them to know the truth, but they don't have to know every single fact. So I'm, I'm kind of sharing with them, trust me on this. You don't have to know every detail to have the truth. What do you think? Oh, I had my pom-poms out. I was listening to you, um, Carol, and I think it's so helpful to both addicts and partners because addicts are nervous about what to share, how much to share. When they get into recovery, they want to be honest. And then the partner is so overwhelmed. You know, I tell my partners, you've been hurt enough. You've been hurt enough, and we want to be careful of how much information you you do get and what the purpose in it is. So I totally agree with you. And I loved hearing you talk about um, Rob Weiss's new book, Prodependence, and just the importance of supporting the partners um, and moving away from what we're learning more about their traumatic experiences and how to help them um, in just a healthier way instead of making them feel like you said that they're an addict too, or there's some um, co-occurring problems going on here um, where they feel responsibility for what's happening. So I loved your rant. You can continue if you'd like to. (laughs) No, I actually want to take as much advantage of our time together because let's face it, sex is a topic that most people are uncomfortable talking about. And tonight you're going to be talking about intimacy and the difference between sex therapy and sex addiction therapy. And, and we're really just going to be talking about those terms or terminology that people are hearing a lot about, but may not know exactly what they mean. So I'm going to just start by asking you, you know, when we talk about intimacy, most people think of it as sexual intimacy. How do you define intimacy? Well, you're so right. Um, I have to remind people that when we are doing, talking about sexual intimacy, and that's whether you're coming in to see me for a sex therapy issue um, or sex addiction recovery and healthy sexuality, I believe that sexual intimacy is part of relational intimacy. So relational intimacy, intimacy in general, is simply that interpersonal relationship, and it values and acknowledges your emotional connection, your intellectual connection, the physical, spiritual, sexual, and the experiential aspects. 
you know, what are you experiencing with your partner? Real sexual intimacy should mirror um, relational intimacy. It should mirror what your relationship looks like outside the bedroom, um, should be happening inside the bedroom. Open communication, safety, uh, safety to see things differently, safety to have your voice and have it matter, um, validation, um, the safety place to say no, um, to be able to talk about your dreams together, to be able to value each other. So intimacy is really, um, I think it's, it's non-tangible. It's that space that we're in when we feel safe and loved. And, you know, we're all familiar with the, um, uh, the, the phrase, into me you see. It's when I really can be open and honest with you. You provide a safe place for me to do that. And so when we're talking about intimacy, sexual intimacy is just one part of it, an important part of it, uh, but one part of it. Good point. And you're right. People just associate intimacy with sex, but it's really about closeness and connection. And so when you hear something like sexual anorexia or intimacy anorexia, how would you describe those two terms? Well, we know that sex addiction itself is an intimacy disorder. And so what it is is it's the inability to be present with you, to give their whole self to you, um, to be able to give their, uh, you know, part of what's happening with uh, sexual intimacy and relational intimacy with an addict is they really are, the brain is taking on, we're not normal unless we're acting out. And therefore, you're not sober and clear-minded enough to be able to give your whole self to your partner, just as you want them to give themselves to you. So that's why we talk about the, um, you know, intimacy anorexia or the lack of relational intimacy or that sex addiction is an intimacy disorder. It's because addiction robs you of intimacy. It robs you of being present um, because you're always looking for the next fix, so to speak. The brain is. Um, sexual anorexia, it's really just a severe um, aversion to sexual contact, and it's the obsessive avoidance of sex. So um, it's kind of like it's pathological in the fact that you really lose your appetite for romantic sexual interaction. Um, a lot of time there's fear of intimacy, um, to the point that the person will have a lot of anxiety um, surrounding sexual activity. And then there's emotional aspects of it, too. Um, they have fear of an intimate relationship, and that could be, that could come from um, what was happening during their developmental years. It could come from a history of abuse. It could come from the addiction experiences themselves or their lack of self-worth. Um, so many things impact why we don't feel safe enough or valued enough to be intimate or to have our voice. Um, so that's that term sexual anorexia. It really is not just the absence of having sex or the absence or problems with intimacy, but it's, it's severe. Like you avoid it um, and you're obsessed with avoiding it. Well, you got that. And so, Obviously, one of the things we know about sex addicts, since this show is for sex addicts and partners, is that sometimes they go into sexual 
anorexia because they actually want to calm down or stop their urges and cravings. And they think, if I turn off my sexual libido, if I act disinterested, if I convince myself that I don't need sex, then I will be safe. But that only matters for a little while. And or, you know, oftentimes, unfortunately, sex addicts are not turned on any longer by normal human beings because they've trained their brain to want porn, prostitution, massages, you know, that extracurricular sexuality. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I agree totally. And, you know, you made a good point there that people who are experiencing sex addiction, they really think that it's about sex. And, of course, we know that it's not. Sex is just basically, you know, it's a poor, uh, you know, for a better, lack of better words, it's kind of the drug of choice. It's that high that you're getting. A lot of times sex addiction doesn't even include actually having sex. Um, it includes the searching for it, the looking for it, the high of the secrets, the risk that you take. Um, and so, you know, it's such a difficult place for the addict to be because they're trying to figure out what's going on with them as well. I totally agree with you. And oftentimes they will, you know, I've seen them have an aversion to it as well, just out of guilt and shame, Carol. Um, you know, they're overwhelmed with the, what they're doing. They don't feel they have the ability to stop. And, um just out of guilt, even they'll avoid having sex with their partner at times and go to extremes. Um, and so you're absolutely right. It's not about sex. It's about the obsession and what's happening in the brain. And so, you know, obviously tonight we're going to be talking about some terminology that people have heard, maybe confused about. Um, can I first talk to you about some of the generic things and then maybe some of the specific things. Like, can you talk about the four types of sexual orientations and what they are and what they mean to the general population? Sure. So the four uh, types of sexual orientation would be asexual, bisexual, heterosexual, and homosexual. So we've probably all heard those terms, and um, it can be confusing because there's so many different terms um, now related to gender as well as sexual orientation. Sometimes it can be confusing. Asexual is basically a person that's devoid of sexual drive, attractions, feelings, or desires. They typically have little or no interest in sexual acts, however. Some do engage in sexual activity out of a sense of duty or perhaps to have a baby um, or to please their partner, but they really, um, they really just don't have any desire or need for um, sexual interaction. And so we refer to that as asexual. Somebody who's bisexual, they're actually sexually attracted to both men and women. There's also a term called pansexuality or omnisexuality, and basically it kind of falls under bisexual. Uh, bisexual. Um, the pansexuality is the sensual, sexual, romantic, and emotional attraction towards people, basically regardless of their sex or gender identity. 
So pansexual people may refer to themselves as gender blind or asserting that gender and sex are not determining factors in their romantic or sexual attraction to others. So that would kind of fall under the bisexual. And then you may have heard the term polysexuality. And that's basically sexual attraction to multiple people. And, but they're not all genders. So polysexual person is one that they're characterized by many different kinds of sexuality. And it includes attraction to more than two genders. Heterosexual is sexually attracted to people of the opposite sex or gender. So heterosexual would be a male being attracted to a female and vice versa. And then, of course, homosexual would be sexually attracted to people of one's own sex or gender. Okay, and what do you say that in today's world, this is at least my experience, that Mm -hmm. millennials, are really experimenting more with being pansexual. You know, they're, they don't want to be boxed into any certain um, preference. Well, you're so right. Um, you know, the um, next gen generation is really looking at sexuality as being fluid. And they're also moving away from just there being um, the two genders. Um, You know, there's gender identity where it's the concept of whether you're a man or a woman or a blend of both. Um, And people will, um, you know, there's also, it's called um, third um, trigender which is a gender identity that can be literally translated as three genders or triple gender. Really um, just being non-binary. I mean, they're not following, you're right, they're just exploring, they're open, they're very curious. Um, It's socially accepted now more than ever to be able to be who you are, who you voice that you are, who you identify that you are, Um, And so I think there's a lot of people um, that are just exploring and trying to figure it out. And you know how that is, um, Carol, we see this a lot of times. People who may feel oppressed in one way or another, when they do get their voice, there might be, you know, this jump to the other extreme, kind of, okay, I've been so, I felt so like I had to be this for so long, and now I can have a voice to be who I want. So I'm going to kind of explore and see what that means, and it might mean everything. And then usually through that path, um, they're going to settle into, you know, who they find themselves to be and who they want to identify to be. But it can be very confusing. You know, it's a lot of new, especially for people who are not in that next gen and uh, even some millennials that are not in those uh, generations, um, we're learning, we're being educated about this. They are actually growing up in it. So it's very normal for them to be talking about this. Um, It's being taught more and more in schools. Um, Socially, we're being taught to make sure that we want to respect whatever somebody says they are. Um, But it can be confusing to us, especially with political correctness, right? 
sometimes we just aren't sure. What do we say? What questions do we ask? Um, what does that mean? And then there's so many terms that sound very similar. And quite frankly, a lot of the terms are very similar. Um, there's not, for some of these terms, um, that we're seeing today with sexuality, they really are very close. There's not much that really does differentiate them. And even when you're talking to people that are using these terms, they themselves might not even have clear definition of them. But it's always best to just ask, um, you know, what does that mean? I'm not familiar with that term. Do it with a respectful tone. Um, but you're right, there's so many terms. Um, and trying to understand what that means and when you have children and grandchildren um, coming up in a world where um, they are moving away from saying that there's just two, um, two genders, male and female. Well, and I want to ask you something because I happen to have a relative who is making the choice that, uh, how do I say this? I think he was a he. But now he is saying, I'm gender fluid, therefore, don't call me he or she, call me it or they. And Mm -hmm. that way it stays absolutely positively neutral. But that really does make it a new kind of language. You know, I want to be very respectful of this person, of it or they, but to say I want to be very respectful of it, for my age group, sounds as if I am alienating it, and I don't want to do that, but that's what it wants to be referred to. So when you say that we really want to work on being respectful, it really does require asking the hard questions and maybe even talking a little bit of our difficulty, not as in what you're asking me to do is hard or difficult, but boy, this is new stuff for me, and I don't do it well, and I don't even know that I'm doing it right. So you're going to have to guide me. Mm-hmm. You know, you're exactly right. And I would say, you know, usually when they're using the they or their pronoun, um, they really are going neutral. And here's something that I work with a lot, and I think you and I are going to talk more about this later, but helping, I help uh, people who are experiencing betrayal trauma from uh, partners who um, are in the transitioning stage of, uh, you know, partners who are married to a man or a woman and have had a long life established with them. And then, you know, they're losing that um, husband. A lot of times they're losing that daughter. So I think sometimes we don't give enough attention to the family members, to the partners, because like you said, you're not wanting to say it's difficult, but you know, Carol, in some ways it is difficult because let's say your family member, um, let's just say that, um, you know, he's a nephew. Well, if you've always known him as your nephew, you're right, it's confusing, like, okay, what does that mean now? And of course, it doesn't question your love for him, but you're trying to understand but all of this time you've been my nephew, so I have a transition I've got to go through of trying to understand what's new to me, like you said, of there may be some grieving, the loss of the relationship that it was or what I thought it was, or even just the familiarity sometimes um, can be there. 
And it, it can be a fine line sometimes or challenging when you're trying to be very, very supportive of the individual who is feeling like they're being their authentic self. You want to be supportive of them and you can only have empathy towards what they've gone through. At the same time, how do you have empathy for yourself and understanding for yourself? And so I think we're still figuring that out in our society, um, helping the family members and the partners, um, as well as having people who are saying, you know what, I'm walking away from being male or female, or maybe I want to transition, or, um, you know, I have the right to be whoever I believe I want to be. Well, not really understanding probably the impact that that has on people around them. So it's just something that we in our community, we're really trying to educate ourselves. We're really trying to help the entire family unit. Um, And that also includes coworkers at times, friendships change at times. Um, And so we're really trying to understand more and be there to be a support uh, in any way that we can. Um, but you're right, it's confusing. It's like I want to well, refer you to know, you as it because that's what you want, but I'm not really sure what that means, yes. And, well, and I got, uh, I, what I know is that this is all exploration and experimentation for a lot of teens and even young adults and, and maybe even older older people, because I work with a lot of transgendered population, but with my relative, at one moment, I said, you know, it said, please don't call me blank anymore, Aunt Carol. I would like for you to just refer to me as it, or um, I think it was they, and I said, well, are you still going by your name? Well, we'll say it's Bob. And he mm-hmm. said, or it said, yes. And I said, well, how about if I just keep calling you Bob? And it said, well, that's fine, Aunt Carol. You can do that. Well, then two weeks later, it changed its name to something female. And so what I knew to be true was that hadn't been established. Maybe it mm-hmm. was thinking about that prior to, but he had clearly said, my name is going to remain the same, and two weeks later, it changed. So we also have to, I feel like, when when we are giving permission to allow pe- people to really come into their own sexuality and their own gender, that we may be going with the, go- the flow that they're going with, and that's part of that flexibility, too. Now, certainly, like you said, there are a lot of people that may go, well, that is ridiculous. You're encouraging craziness. Don't encourage that um, instability. And, you know, what I know to be true is that I am a person that really works at being unconditional. And so if somebody is, I don't want to say struggling, but exploring that, I'll support them as much as I can. And, and so, that being said, I want to ask you about a couple of terms that I feel a lot of people in my generation, maybe even generations uh, a few decades younger than myself, may not really understand. 
you know, today you do want to be respectful of a person's sexual identity, and there are so many terms that it can be confusing. So I'd like for you to share with me um, sexual terms like copulatory vocalizations or cross-dressing or what is your definition of exhibitionism or, or tribatism, scissoring? Okay. Well, Are you there? Yes, I am. I'm so sorry. I had a little frog in my throat there for a second. Um, you know, you're exactly right, Carol. I just want to say there's actually a term called misgender. And that term is used whenever you're not using the proper um, words or pronouns to correctly reflect the gender of someone. And the best advice that I give to people with what you were just sharing there is, you know, I just say be open and honest. You know, really say, I want to be supportive of you, but I don't understand it. And maybe I even have different beliefs about it. Just as you're believing one thing, I may believe something. And can we still love each other and treat each other respect, even though maybe we see things differently? But I think showing that love that I can see things differently, I may have beliefs, I might be, uh, you know, what um, I hear, uh, I know my son and people his age will refer to us as old school, right? The old school way of thinking or doing things and just uh-huh. learning. And someday when, when they have children, they'll think that they're old school, even though right now they're um, up on everything new. So you're exactly right. I think it's really important for everybody to just be open and honest, to just say, hey, I'm confused and I want to be a support to you because I love you, but I'm I'm learning too. I think we're all learning, like you said, we're exploring, there's a lot of curiosity, and we're learning. I think one of, the, um, one of the terms that you mentioned, Carol, I think is a very important one. I've actually had several conversations with therapists who are not very educated in sex therapy about the term cross-dresser. Even therapists will think, well, if they're cross-dressing, then that automatically means they're transgender. And cross-dressing does not mean at all that you are transgender. So anyone can wear clothes associated with a different sex, and that is what the term cross-dresser means. It just simply means that you're wearing something, clothes, makeup, accessories, that are usually culturally associated with being male or female. So it would be a man dressing up like what's culturally accepted as a female and vice versa. That does not necessarily mean that they are transgender. It could be that they have a fetish. A fetish is just a sexual object or behavior that you're engaging in um, that's a non-genital body part, and you have a sexual fetish for it. It arouses you. Um, It's listed as non-pathological, but it also can cause significant psychological distress as well, depending on um, what what lengths they're going to for the obsession or the fetish, if they're keeping secrets around it. Um, So cross-dressing does not mean that you're transgender. It replaces the old term transvestite 
where people would dress up as one gender or the other. So that's cross-dressing. Um, now, do people Okay, now let me ask you, are, that blows mm-hmm. right into what a she-male is. What would you mm-hmm. define a she-male? Well, a she-male is somebody who they actually have um, both male and female uh, parts. So, for example, um, a lot of times you'll hear um, when we're dealing with sex addiction um, issues that um, men may have been with a um, a uh, what's what was referred to as a as a a female. It would be a man who's maybe had breast implants done, but he still has a penis. So. What you and look so, at is so they've I got male and female me. sexual organs. I'm sorry, sexual body and that parts. Might be a, that, that might be a fetish. Do you find, because I know that I get a lot of clients, well, not a lot, but I have some clients that then wonder if they may want both sexes, that it's another way of being bisexual, that they're actually stimulated by the female aspect of a man and the male aspect of a female. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a normal question, and Carol, I'm sure you've heard that many times. I have myself. And what I do is just say exactly what you were just saying a few minutes ago. It really, there's so many things that cross over that don't necessarily mean one thing or another. We have to explore. One of the things that we do see with sex addiction is there's this increased tolerance in acting out behaviors where you're getting the risk is higher, the curiosity is higher, you get to a certain tolerance level. Just like an alcoholic might be drinking a couple beers a week, increases it to drinking every day, then they have to go from four beers to, you know, six or seven to get their buzz. It's the same thing with any addiction. And so sometimes... It's just simply let me try something that's new, that's different. It's not really related to um, sexual orientation or sexual gender. Um, it's not really related to whether you're bisexual or heterosexual. It's just part of curiosity. Let me try it. Does that excite me? Does that arouse me? Um, people who are truly exploring their sexuality it's different than that. They might be exploring, they may be open to things to try to find what they are attracted to. And of course, you're right, during your developmental years, um, that could change. Um, And so just the exploring of it, the best rule of thumb I just tell people is don't judge it to be this or that. Gather the information, talk about it openly, look at all the aspects of it um, before that we label what it is or what it isn't. Well, and I love that because truly that's what being a good sex therapist is all about. You know, it is, it's being neutral and it's wanting to explore and help the person decide for themselves what they think or what they need. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, providing a safe place for people to feel that they're not being judged and be able to share their innermost thoughts and explore uh, whatever it is uh, that's going on with them. Um, You know, we all have to know ourselves. We all have to 
you know, we say in the therapy world, we all have to do our own work, right? And that means that we all on whatever journey that we're on, we have to really get to know ourselves and understand the experiences that have impacted us, um, what happened during our development, our own personalities, our genetic makeup and influences, um, what do we feel, what do we notice about ourselves. So it's the same thing sexually for a lot of people. That's what they're trying to explore. Um, and, you know, I understand as I, you know, as I have grown to know myself, right, um, we can say, I know this about myself. And I think that's what a lot of this exploration is. Is there more? People are starting to just ask questions. And I think that's in general. You know, we're living in a global, a global world today. You know, we've just had um, multiple um, um, I don't know what you call them, contraptions, I hate to say contraptions, but put on uh, Mars now. We're exploring Mars, you know, and we're just, we're curious, we're open, we're global, we are interacting internationally. And I think this is just part of the progression. We're starting to ask questions. Is there more than one gender? Um, what is real sexuality? Um, is monogamy something that I want to follow? Um I do think it's um, a good idea that people do question, take a look at what that means to them, um, because I deal with people who have been in relationships with people who knew that they were different than what they thought, and they led someone to believe something that wasn't true for a very long time. And that destroys uh -huh. um, lives, you know, so I would rather people be honest and say, hey, who's, here's who I think I am, here's what I'm about, here's what I'm exploring, and give people the opportunity to choose to enter into a relationship with you than to know you're not what you're displaying yourself to be. And I think that's what we all want at the end of the day. We all want to feel that we can be authentically ourselves. And we certainly want to present ourselves authentically to the partner that we're going to be with. Um, a couple of the other terms you asked me about real quickly, um, exhibitionism, that's actually uh, the act of exposing yourself in public or a semi-public type context um, where it's not normally exposed. So, for example, exhibitionism is when someone is exposing themselves to you and you didn't ask for it. Um, you didn't necessarily want it to happen, um, but they are taking it upon themselves to do that. And it's usually tied into some compulsivity. Um, I see this with sex addiction as well. Um, and, of course, um, it's against the law um, in certain aspects, so you could have legal ramifications uh, from it as well. But it's not your normal exposing yourself to your intimate partner. It's exposing yourself to somebody who's not your intimate partner, strangers. Um, you might do it for a shock benefit. Um, you might do it to your friends. You know, many years ago we saw this in public where people would pull their pants down and do what we called mooning, or you'd be at a concert and, you know, take off your shirt. It's where you're really uh -huh. um, exposing yourself. Um, and then um, – I think you asked me about tribadism, and uh -huh. tribadism is the act of actually rubbing your genitals against the body of somebody else. Now, they're consenting to this, 
It's usually used in the context of a woman rubbing her vulva against her partner's body or genitals. Um, and it's also known as the term, which is probably a more uh, popular term, called scissoring. Okay, and so say that one more time. Scissoring is scissoring. When a it's usually referred to as rubbing your genitals against somebody that's consenting. So two partners rubbing their genitals against each other, and usually this is in the context of women doing it. So it would be vulva to vulva contact. Um, and it's usually referred to as scissoring. The um, the um, professional um, uh, lost my thought there for a minute. The professional verbiage for that is tribadism, but it's referred to as scissoring. Got it. Just like um, you know, you were talking before, frauderism is when somebody rubs up against somebody without their knowledge and without their consent, and they get aroused mm-hmm. from doing that. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, got it. Um, what, are, what are some other terms that you think our listening audience needs to know that they may be confused about? Well, I think um, just keeping in mind that when you have the word gender and the word sexual, that's where it means uh-huh. two different things. Gender is going to refer to male, female, or a third gender. Sexual is going to um, be more referred to as your sexual orientation. So, for example, the term transgender is basically an umbrella term for people who use gender identity or expression. There's a term called gender expression um, that's different from cultural and social expectations, and it's based on the sex that they were assigned at birth. So, in other words, if at birth you're assigned um, to be a male, the transgender would mean I am transitioning to a different gender, which would be female. That does not have anything to do with your sexual orientation. In other words, what you're sexually attracted to would have the word sexual. Your gender words are going to have the word gender, and a lot of people get those confused. Um, a transsexual person is a generational term for people whose gender identity is different from their assigned sex at birth. Um, and they seek to transition from male to female or female to male. Um, it's no longer preferred by many people, though. Um, and a lot of people are using now either um, female to male or male to female. Um, the word trans is used. But again, because everyone is different, I just encourage everybody to ask. Just say, you know, I'm using this term. Am I using it correctly? And they'll correct you. Um, you know, they'll let you know what's acceptable or not acceptable um, uh, when you're speaking with them. Um, and I think we already talked about third gender. That's a good term to understand, that sex is a concept in which individuals are categorized either by themselves or by society as neither man nor woman. So it's basically they're saying, I'm not male or female. I'm a third gender. Um, you may have heard the uh, term pangender, and again, that's a non-binary gender defined as being more than one gender, so that's another one related to the same thing. So you see we have several terms that could mean very similar. Um, there is um, gender fluid, 
which is a person who does not identify as a single fixed gender. That's another word, again, for looking at gender identity. Um, cisgender is a term that's used to describe somebody whose gender identity aligns with the sex assigned to them at birth. I would be somebody who is referred to as cisgender. That means that I was assigned a female at birth and I identify as a female. Um, I'm trying to think of some other terms for you. Uh, agender, again, is another term that uh, it's gender identity and expression that doesn't align with man, woman, or any other gender. It's a similar term used by the gender neutral. And I think you talked about that a few minutes ago. Um, so, and, you know, those you kind of giving mm-hmm. us, you're just giving us a whole host of information. And if, let me just ask, because obviously, Dr. Crystal, you have a website, you're available for consultation. You run intensives. You do it all. Tell us a little bit about your services because we have to end soon, and I want people to know how they can get a hold of you. Sure. Um, My website is just my name, crystalhollenbeck.com. You can also put in H3 Counseling. I have offices in Orlando and Tampa, and you're right. I do offer uh, psychotherapy in my office. Once I meet with you in person, I also then offer distance uh, counseling as well. And I conduct three-day intensives. I do it for couples in sex addiction therapy. I do it for couples who just need help with their marriage and their relationship. There's no uh, sex addiction involved. Um, My most popular one is the trauma intensive that I do. I do a three-day trauma healing intensive. Um, that is probably the one that I do the most. I treat a lot of um, survivors of trauma, both betrayal trauma, sexual trauma, um, abuse trauma, and also um, even uh, major car accidents, military experiences. Um, And like I said, I'm located in Orlando, and um, my number is 407 408 6521. And you can also email me again. It's just my name, Crystal at crystalhollenbeck.com. Well, and so again, you've given us a whole host of information. And for anybody who wants to contact you, just you can just still Hollenbeck. That's H-O-L-L-E-N-B-E-C-K. We've got to go. Dr. Crystal, but I am going to be announcing when you're going to be talking more about dealing with transgendered individuals on my other show, Partner Betrayal Recovery. And thank you so much for your willingness to to share your wealth of information with us. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity, Carol. It's always so good to talk with you, and I just appreciate all you're doing. All right. You take care, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I hated to rush her off, but we've got about 30 seconds. So I did want to get with you and say that we're going to have her on again real soon. And I so appreciate you all wanting to know more about sex help with Carol the Coach. Now, there will only be one of you at all times so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make next week a good week, and we'll see you soon.